You're listening to a Chirp Radio podcast. For more interviews and stories, visit chirpradio.org slash podcasts. You're listening to Chirp Radio 107.1 FM. I'm Andrew Merriweather, and I'm in the studio today with Dave Spector. He is a legendary blues musician here in Chicago. He's been playing for many, many decades. Dave, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. Oh, you're very welcome. Good to be with you, Andrew. So, Dave, I kind of want to go all the way back to the beginning and just kind of know where your blues journey begins. My understanding is that you didn't actually pick up a guitar until you were 18. Correct. Yeah. I grew up in a really musical family, though, um, on the northwest side of Chicago, including an older brother, especially, who was a huge blues fan, who used to go out and see Holland Wolf and Muddy Waters and Junior Wells and had a great record collection and would tell me about seeing artists like that. And it just sounded really incredible. My parents also were big music fans. And one of the first times I probably ever heard the blues was when they would listen to the Midnight Special on WFMT. And I remember hearing Lead Belly and Big Bill Brunzi and even Muddy Waters, I think. Having music in my house all the time from my brother and sister playing guitar and harmonica and bluegrass banjo to my mother playing classical piano to my parents listening to a lot of classical music, but also folk music and occasional blues is uh, was my first exposure to the music. So was there a lot of like family jam time, or are you all just sort of doing your own thing? There was jam time between my brother and sister and their friends, for sure. They, there were always guitars in the house and always friends coming over with guitars and playing piano and jamming. And I was, you know, I was the little brother who was into basketball, but I loved the music. And I became a huge music fan as a kid and through grade school and high school. So I knew a lot about a lot about bands, especially about rock and roll and some blues. Like most people who got into blues from my era and my generation, I, I got into it um, largely through bands like the Rolling Stones and the Allman Brothers and the Grateful Dead, um, and then kind of discovered it through their music and who they were covering. And then I realized, hey, I live in Chicago and they're covering Muddy Waters and Little Walter and Holland Wolf, and this music was made like just a few miles from where I grew up. Was there a particular moment or a particular song or a particular artist where you felt that sort of deep emotional connection in that movement? Um, I don't think I could name one particular moment, although early on seeing Otis Rush and Buddy Guy and Junior Wells, and I remember my dad taking me, taking me to see B.B. King and Bobby Blue Bland at the Mill Run Theater, which was in Niles. It was a theater in the round when I was probably 14. All those, just the experience of seeing the blues live definitely had an effect on me. I wish more shows were being done in the round. That was one of my favorite ways to see bands. Occasionally, Talia Hall will do a show like that, but there's Mm -hmm. just nothing like, there's just something so much more immersive, and there's not that stage audience disconnect, which I feel like seeing a blues show that way would be... Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And especially with, you know, B.B. King and Bobby Bland with their big orchestras and they're all wearing tuxedos. (laughs) It's pretty slick. How do you start frequenting blues clubs? I mean, you're still... You know, you're still a, you're sort of a young man. How do you yeah. find your way to all these shows? Well, it was a lot easier to get a fake ID back in the, <laughs> in the 1970s. Um, and I was tall. You know, I was 6'4 when I was probably 17 or 18. So it was a little easier to get into clubs. And I would, I would be going to clubs when I was 18. And I went to clubs like Biddy Mulligan's, which was a famous Northside Chicago blues club in Rogers Park on Sheridan Road. That was one of the first clubs I went to. I also, I went to school down at the U of I in Champaign. The student union there would program blues shows. And I remember seeing Buddy Guy and Junior Wells there and Coco Taylor and Magic Slim. And that had a profound effect on me. I was, you know, that was a time when bands 
bands like REM and the Talking Heads and U2 were just hitting, just coming onto the underground scene. And I was into that stuff and Elvis Costello. But then when I'd, I'd, I'd hear, you know, live Chicago blues, I just it just shook me to the bone. You've talked about in previous interviews being influenced by Magic Sam, T-Bone Walker. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? There's so many incredible musicians, especially out of Chicago, that you can latch on to. What's a non-blues influence that maybe people would be surprised if they just picked up your record, they wouldn't have expected you to be influenced by a particular guitarist or even just a particular mm-hmm. musician? Well, I'm a big fan of, of, of jazz and jazz guitar players like Kenny Burrell, particularly. I don't think people would find that surprising, to say the least, but I think a lot of people that are kind of, you know, quote-unquote blues fans, more casual blues fans, they kind of sometimes ask me in kind of a confused or perplexed way, you listen to jazz, you play kind of jazzy. And, that, you know, from a, a non-musician's perspective or a fan who's not as seriously into music as say we are they don't see that close connection that blues and jazz are in fact you know like cousins and they're very closely connected and that jazz has all of its roots in the blues for the most part so um jazz influences you know i spent there there was a long period of my career in my life where i was listening to a lot of jazz blue note records era prestige you know hard bop soul jazz from the 50s and 60s it's still some of my favorite music ever to me it's extremely bluesy and greasy and soulful and grooving and i hear a lot of blues in that and i think i hear i think a lot of that comes out in my playing Yeah, I haven't done a new album. I've been producing other artists, which I really enjoy, but I haven't done my own full album. The last full album I did came out in 2014 on Delmark Records. It was called Message in Blue, and it featured the late, great Otis Clay on three tracks. So it's now 2019. So yeah, five years later, I think I'm ready. I've been writing quite a bit over the last number of years and writing a lot quite recently. That kind of is when I get most inspired to write. So I'm really excited about a lot of the new material. I think the album might be all original material, which could be my first album with no covers. Well, wow, that's very exciting. Well, and so then would you also imagine doing a lot of collaborations on this record? Yes, there is. Um, it's not confirmed yet. Very close to confirming a legendary rock guitar player from the 60s San Francisco scene. That's all I can say right okay. now. But he all still right. performs around <laughs> Chicago and all over the world. And we've become friends. And he actually gave me a, one of his songs to record on the album. But mostly it's just going to be my core band and a combination of instrumental music, probably four instrumentals. And then the rest will have vocals. And I think I'm actually going to sing on a record for the first time. What? In... How, how does that feel? <laughs> well, good question. It feels... Like, in some ways, it's something 
that maybe I should have done a while ago. On the other hand, I never really saw it as being me. I have always seen myself as a guitarist, and I enjoy backing good singers. Most of all, I enjoy expressing myself through my guitar music, so the vocals are secondary. There are a lot of blues purists and blues fans that think that the blues has to have the vocals to tell the story. I would counter saying that the guitar is my voice, and that tells the story. Why now? A number of factors. It's been on my mind for quite a while. It's never really been pressing, but I've I've gotten a lot of requests to do it, a lot of kind of nudging, for lack of a better word, from from close friends, from fans. Why don't you sing, man? Just sing. Just do it. So I'll do it. Are there writers that you especially like reading that you find inspiring that help you with your lyric writing process? Mm, good question. Yeah, I mean, from music like Mavis Staples, her message of inspiration and also pain from what an artist like her and her family went through growing up during the civil rights movement, I find that very inspiring. You know, Dylan, of course, is a big inspiration. He wrote some great blues I mostly just kind of write from the things that I have going on inside my mind, my experience. One blues, it seems to me, has always been speaking to conditions that people were living in at the moment, at the time, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, people just talking about what their lives are like and the obstacles or the oppression that they're dealing with. Yes. And if you're not talking, if you're only talking about the perspectives that were shared in 1930s onward, uh, and you're not talking about whatever ails you (laughs) right now, it doesn't seem like it's going to... I don't know, have that same punch. Right. I mean, lyrically and thematically, that's the way the blues started. But I I think that I, I don't see anything wrong and I see everything right with it growing out into branches from that and reflecting anything from common day experiences now to common feelings. And it doesn't have to just be about bitterness and pain and suffering and loss. As long as the blues has the right feeling and the soulfulness and the expression, it can it can really I think be effective when the subject matter varies greatly. Yeah, well, sometimes it feels like there's an allegiance to tradition in the blues. Yeah, there that is. Sometimes can kind of um, can kind of trip it up. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I was I was very much a blues purist in my early days, and I wanted to make records that sounded like old records, and I wanted to pay tribute to artists by sticking really close to the original versions. And now I'm at the point where I I really kind of have changed, and I think when I hear an artist cover a song, and they try to cover it like almost exactly the way it was done originally, I, I just kind of ask like, well, what what is the point of doing that? I mean, is it just a tribute? Well, that's nice, but artistically, <laughs> it's, you know... It's kind of bland. You're not really saying anything. Um, and I think there has to be growth and there has to be evolution for the music to remain vital and interesting. If people just keep kind of doing it the same way, it just it just becomes stagnant and it's not really an art form anymore. Dave, thank you so much. When is do we have an anticipation of when the record is coming out? For... I would I would say now probably summer of 2019, early fall. Probably going to be in the studio starting next month. 
Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. Oh, my pleasure. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.